Welcome back to Northway's D Group Podcast. I'm your host, Rodney Mills, and I'm so glad that you stopped by to visit. We are on a journey, a quest to apprentice our lives to Jesus. The aim of my life is to be like Christ. We processed Jesus' initial invitation of metanoia, repent, take on a, a whole new way of thinking that leads to a whole new way of living. The second half of his invitation is to not only repent, but to believe the gospel of the kingdom. We took some time to think about that word believe, that it doesn't just mean to agree with the facts, but it actually means to be living and to be loving as Jesus lived and loved. It's putting to the test all that Jesus taught and finding it for ourselves to be absolutely true. And when we know from experience, not just head knowledge, that's the kind of truth that sets us free. The Disciples' Freedom Formula. Then, over the last couple of weeks, we dug deep into what this gospel of the kingdom really is. The kingdom is God at work on behalf of his people, where what he wants done is actually being done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth, in my family, in my workplace, in my heart, as it is in heaven. We've also been talking about the kingdom within the context of what we call the disciple's priority. It's based on Matthew 6.33, and I'm sure you can quote it with me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You might remember from last week that our big idea was, as your heart is captured by the values and virtues and vision of the kingdom, righteousness becomes our active response. So let's jump into this week's subject of righteousness. What is it? And even if we figure out what it is, is it possible for us to actually live it out? Well, I hope to clear that up for you this week and and help to get our hearts and heads and minds ready for right living. You might want to grab that card from last week called the Disciples' Priority. We're going to be walking our way through the back side of the card as we tackle kingdom character and conduct in a nutshell. I want to kick off our discussion about this second half of the disciples' priority by referencing the fourth beatitude from the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, this word righteousness is a very familiar word for us as churchgoers, so familiar that we may take its meaning for granted. Or we may have a shallow understanding of such a complex word, so I want to take just a minute to talk through that. There are potentially four aspects of righteousness for which a disciple should hunger and thirst. First is our pursuit of personal righteousness. Some of our discussion around repentance is where this process begins, that we recognize our disoriented living, our spiritual poverty. And when we're truly honest with ourselves and with God, and we see how far we've missed the mark, that often leads to a brokenness and a sorrow over the chaos and destruction our selfishness has led to, and and that brings us to a place 
where we humble ourselves before the Lord and we become a submitted servant to the Lord, reorienting our character and our behavior to align with what God expects from us. That's personal righteousness. We have a major part to play in this process, but we also know that God is at work bringing about a cleansing and a renewing of our hearts and minds. And this is what's known as sanctification. So it's related to the pursuit of holiness. But where we might simply say that holiness describes the absence of sin, righteousness is what sin is replaced with. So holiness and righteousness are related, but they're not quite the same thing. So sin is wrong behavior that contributes to the brokenness of our own lives, the brokenness in the lives of others, and ultimately the brokenness in the world. We're the ones doing this wrong behavior, causing the brokenness. No one is making us doing it. We may be tempted by the enemy, but we're the ones who are behaving badly. And so if we're capable of behaving badly of our own will, then it stands to reason that we can also choose to behave rightly. And so personal righteousness, in this sense of the word, is our right behavior that sets things right in our own lives, in the lives of others, and ultimately contributes to the right setting of society and the world. Which leads us to our next biblical understanding of righteousness. Secondly, apprentices to Jesus should long for social righteousness. When we look at the world through the eyes of our leader and king, we see that things are not the way they should be, and we're compelled to engage in setting things right. you got to get this. We are not individualists. We are not isolationists. We are not brought out of darkness into his light simply for our own sake. We are to partner with God in his work of right setting in the world. This includes all the spheres of influence to which God gives us, our families, our workplace, education, politics, the arts, our communities. And so in this way, righteousness is seeing the broken world the way God sees it and being compelled to do something about it. Now, there's also what theologians call alien righteousness, this third definition of righteousness. Paul contributes to this idea more than any other New Testament writer, perhaps. And while, as we'll see in a few moments, righteousness is the goal to which Christ calls his apprentices, The challenge is that in our current human form, we'll almost always fall short. And as such, through another theological idea called justification, our faith and our allegiance to Christ gives us a right standing before the Father in the courtroom of his judgment, even when we're not completely perfect. And so in other words, the righteousness of Jesus makes us right as well. That's good news, don't you think? So, so alien righteousness, a righteousness from outside of us that is still counted as our own righteousness. What a powerful thought. Now, the fourth longing for eternal righteousness is similar to the second in that we long for the day when Jesus returns and reconciles all things back to himself, when everything is finally and eternally set right, when he truly makes all things new. Eternal righteousness is the final completion of all three of the other kinds of righteousness. Now, the way Jesus uses righteousness throughout his Gospels is more related to the first and second kinds of righteousness, personal and social righteousness. So when he says we should hunger and thirst for righteousness, keep that in mind. Because I know for a fact that this is one of those tension points among Christians. 
Paul's emphasis on our right standing before the righteous judge because of Christ's redemptive work, what we called alien righteousness, that tends to be the dominant concept for the word in the minds of some believers. And so therefore, when the word is used, we may tend to think of it only in that meaning. But just about every way Jesus talks about it, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, is in one way or another, it's related to our personal character and conduct. He's laying out a framework for how we are to live and to act, how to be a kingdom citizen. Let me show you even further what I mean. The Greek word for righteousness is dikaiosene. It was used centuries before the New Testament by the famous philosopher Plato. He was dealing with how the way we are on the inside can make a really good person, or what the human soul must be in order for human beings to live well and manage to do what is right. And he used this word, dikaios sune, for righteousness. Even before the time of Christ, when scholars were translating the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, they settled on Dikaiosune to translate Hebrew scriptures I'm, fam- I'm sure you're familiar with. Verses like, and Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness, or Dikaiosune. And Isaiah says, all our Dikaiosune, all our righteousness is like filthy rags. One scholar says the best translation of Dikaiosune would, would be a, a paraphrase, something like, what it is about a person that makes him or her really right or really good. And for short, we might say that dikaiosene, or righteousness, is true inner goodness. And so Jesus, he steps onto the scene, and this term dikaiosene emerges as the central theme of the kingdom and of salvation. Jesus gives us the disciples' priority we've been talking about. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The New Living Translation says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And so we we pick up on the nuance of personal righteousness here, making the personal choice to live righteously. The Amplified Bible clarifies it even further. But first and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God. And so it's quite obvious that what Jesus had in mind is that we would pursue right living, right character, and right loving, that we do what is right, adopting his character, his attitude, and that's showing up in how we live out our faithfulness to him and his teachings. So here's our next definition of righteousness for this lesson, that righteousness is living out God's ideal for kingdom character and conduct. This multifaceted concept of righteousness is the underlying theme of Jesus' teachings on how to live. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he says. He even says, you're blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. So whether things are settled for you personally for all of eternity through alien righteousness is not Jesus' point here. He's teaching us a lesson on what we should be doing, how we should be behaving, the kind of character we should exhibit in the here and now. What is your goal for this life? What should you be longing for, hungering for, thirsting for? And clearly, he says, righteousness is the goal. But what does he really mean by that? Well, let's keep digging and and let's figure that out. 
Let's think through this next definition, that righteousness is a one-word description of who God is and thus what he does. And by looking at it from that perspective, we don't have to guess at what Jesus means when he says his apprentices should hunger and thirst for righteousness. For God the Father himself embodies it in his loving character and conduct. Here's a two-minute background on the righteousness of God reflected in the Old Testament, the understanding that Jesus and the people listening to him would have had at the time of his teaching in the first century. So first of all, Yahweh is righteous. He speaks and acts according to the purity of his own nature. And additionally, because of the special relationship he had with the people Israel, he acted in agreement with his covenant with them. So Yahweh is righteous in his character and conduct to his covenant people. And likewise, the Old Testament Jews understood that God's covenant people are called to live righteously in conformity to God's will. God lays that out for them in what we know as the law. Yet prophets and poets like Hosea and David would also tie righteousness to mercy, to loving kindness and justice. You see, the people of God are to reflect the righteousness of God. So to make it even more clear, God's intention was not just rule keeping, though he certainly laid out parameters of conduct within the law that reflect righteousness, but rather righteousness, get this, righteousness is living as a reflection of God's loving heart. This is what he wanted them to see, and it's what he wants us to see as well. I mean, read Isaiah 58 if you want to see the difference between religious rule-keeping and what God is really looking for in our hearts. And so, into this context of history and understanding, Jesus comes teaching about kingdom righteousness. He, too, as the king and as Messiah, he is the righteous one. He is the one who sets things right. The kingdom and salvation of God are in him, and they come through him. And as we, uh, as we see all throughout the teachings, his teachings, he also lays out for us the, the parameters that kingdom citizens live by to be a reflection of this righteous king. It's what we call the new covenant available to all people. Those who are kingdom citizens are taught about this new and right way of thinking and feeling and speaking and behavior and are fully expected to pursue it. And in fact, as we're studying today, Jesus says we should hunger and thirst for it. Now, hunger and thirst suggests a kind of desperateness, a craving and a longing for things to be different, not just personally, though that is certainly included, but also in the world. You see, I believe Jesus is calling us to a passionate pursuit of right setting in the world. And so let's get to the very heart of it with our big idea for this lesson. Kingdom righteousness begins with right character, is motivated by right loving, and is expressed in right-setting activity. That's just about the best definition I can come up with the kind of kingdom righteousness that Jesus is talking about here. So let's break that down for just a moment into little sections, and let's talk about, first of all, right character. You see, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you don't start with right behavior. You start with right character. That's the problem the Pharisees were plagued with. They were only focused on religious activities. You see, character is the outflow of the inner person that the world sees. How would your family describe your character? What do they see in your life? How about your coworkers? Because you gotta, you got to get this. Righteousness begins within. Right acting flows from a right heart. And if you want to change your character... 
what people see, then you need to work on your heart. And we're going to talk about that a whole lot more about how to going how about going how to go about doing that in the weeks ahead. But let's look at first of all how James shows this process of how right character comes first. This is James chapter 3 verse 16, for where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. Now, if you're just listening, it might be kind of hard to catch that, but notice what comes first. He says where there's envy and selfish ambition, those are, those are internal issues, and those things define your character. Then disorder and evil practices follow. So what should it be in its place? Verse 17, he says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And then look at this in verse 18, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. This fruit of righteousness, inner righteousness produces a certain kind of fruit, now, the references to fruit by Jesus and James and Paul and, and others are too numerous to list today, but, but surely you're at least familiar with them. Uh, here, here's the essence as Jesus was trying to get through to the Pharisees. This is in Matthew chapter 12. Either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. That's character. He gets after him now in verse 34, brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. <laughs> oh, friend, do, do you long for, are you hungry and thirsty for the kind of heart Jesus is talking about? A, a storeroom of good, producing good things. I mean, after all, that's the character of God toward you. God is good. God is so good. And because he is so good, God is love. God is loving. And when you begin to fill your storehouse with God's good fruit, nothing tops the list like God's love that can flow through you. And in fact, that's the second dynamic of kingdom righteousness, right loving. You see, love is at the core of everything the entire Bible is about. I mean, listen to the familiar exchange between Jesus and this tricky lawyer. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replies, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. You see, your right-setting behavior should be motivated by right-loving. There is no greater expression of the character of God than love. It's what motivates God into action. His great love comes to the aid of those who are poor in spirit. His compassion is what drives him to comfort those of us who are mourning. And likewise, love becomes the motivating factor in our lives as well, leading us to a third dynamic of kingdom righteousness, right-setting activity. Here's another definition to take note of. Righteousness is wanting what God wants. And I believe that this is where the difference between holiness and righteousness come in, comes in. Whereas holiness is the absence of sin, of, of bad behavior, righteousness is the presence of right-setting behavior. 
Righteousness is not just the absence of conflict. It is actively working at bringing God's will to each situation and circumstance of life. Friends, we are change agents actively engaged in extraordinary acts of love and justice. From big needs of social justice in our community to surprising reactions of grace and mercy, even when people get angry with us and try to hurt us. Why? Because kingdom righteousness demands that we want what God wants. In fact, the New Living Translation puts this beatitude a slightly different way. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. And Jesus is saying that if we hunger and thirst for it, make it our goal, we will be filled. We will be satisfied. God is saying here that righteousness is possible. God says right character is attainable. He says if we long for right loving, he will fill us with his love. And he says that if we make right setting activity our goal, our life purpose even, we will see it come to pass. We will be filled. We will be satisfied. And so get this. Righteousness, as we've been defining in this session, is possible when we fully live under the rule of God. I mean, that sounds crazy, but it's absolutely true. Righteousness is possible when we fully live under the rule of God. You'll remember the familiar exchange between Jesus and the rich young ruler. He was good at keeping the law, but he left full of sorrow when Jesus said to give his money to the poor so he could follow Jesus freely and lightly. He walked away with a heavy heart. Jesus told his disciples that rich folks would struggle to get into the kingdom. So listen in on this conversation with me for a moment. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, and they asked, Who then can be saved? Well, Jesus looked at them, and he said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I mean, do you see this? Uh, uh, Friend, let me tell you, Jesus believes in you. I mean, sure, he sets the bar of righteousness pretty high, but you're not alone in this. You see, with the Father's great love for you, Jesus walking beside you, never leaving you or forsaking you, and the Holy Spirit living within you, empowering you day by day, with God, all things are possible, including becoming a thriving and difference-making child of God, a child of righteousness. You will be filled. You will be satisfied. Now, there's a special kind of grammar happening here in the Greek. Because when this passage says, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, that they will be filled, I mean, who is it that's doing the filling? It doesn't say it explicitly. But God is. And this is called a divine passive. There's no need to state his name, for it's implied and it's completely understood. That when Jesus blesses the disciples who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he blesses those who make righteousness their goal. And this divine passive reminds us that he is also present in our quest, that he will comfort, satisfy, and show mercy to his sons and daughters as they pursue their goal. Make no mistake, he is with us. Ah, you're blessed when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, friends. Who are the ones that hunger and thirst for righteousness? These are the ones who long for things to be set right. Perhaps it's in your own life. Perhaps the the person longs to be set right in God's eyes, to experience the forgiveness and restoration only God can give. Perhaps that person's been wronged. They stand there before God, abused or neglected or ridiculed or even forgotten, and they know they need things in life to be set right for them. 
This is not how life is supposed to be. And, and the kingdom of the heavens has a chemistry that can transform even the past and make the terrible, irretrievable losses that human beings experience seem insignificant in the greatness of God. He restores our souls and he fills us with the goodness of rightness. Or perhaps your heart breaks as you mourn for the injustices of the world, for the brokenness of people cast aside by society, the unloved ones, the forgotten and the forsaken ones. Can I just tell you one more time that if you hunger and thirst for this kind of righteousness, God is at work. God is at work to satisfy us and to give us success. In fact, who hungers and thirsts for righteousness the most? Well, I'll tell you who it is. It starts at the very top. God himself longs for things to be set right. In fact, the cross is the ultimate example of how far God will go to set things right. And I love the way John puts it so plainly in his first letter. Once you're convinced that Jesus is right and righteous, you'll also recognize that all who practice righteousness are God's true children. Our kingdom righteousness begins with right character, it's motivated by right loving, and it's expressed in right-setting activity. Jesus says, pursue this kind of living with your whole being. Make it your priority. Trust the Holy Spirit to be with you and empower you to live it out. Not just holiness, not just the absence of sin and selfishness, but let's replace that wrong behavior with acts of love that flow from a transformed heart. Well, be sure to download this week's transcript as it has a few suggestions for way you can pray your way through this commitment to kingdom righteousness. I'm praying for you, friend. God is faithful. He's reshaping your life to look more like his. So just keep going. Don't give up. Don't give in. Because without God, this would be impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So go out there and make a big difference in the world. 